thought it was off. Where do you see yourself in a year, in five years, maybe in 20 years? I would imagine some of you see yourself finally married. Where's Marcus? <laughs> Others see themselves on a new job. Some may see themselves pregnant. I heard a gasp from, uh, from some people over on that side. Some people see themselves maybe in the next year, five years, they'll see themselves financially secure. Maybe successful in a business. Others may see themselves in the same old place, live in the same old way. While others may see themselves healthier, and the last group will see themselves still sitting watching TV. Let me tell you, some in this room in the next year, five years, surely in the next 20 years, some will leave this earth and enter into the presence of the Lord Jesus. Amen. While some of you are going to enter hell kicking and screaming for all eternity, regretting living the devil's lie that you can live as you please, and that God is dead and hell doesn't exist, you'll regret it for all eternity. You had a chance after chance after chance to get saved, and you put it off. Where will you be this time next year? Here's another question. Where does God see you? You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he saw you and me without God and without hope in this world. And he set out to change your future. There in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. See, God is mean. God doesn't love me. God sure hasn't helped me. Are you sure? Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I, this is God talking, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. They're thoughts of what? Thoughts of peace and not of evil. I don't, he's not like you thought your parents were when you were a kid. Remember when you were a kid, you stayed up, you, you, would, you would sit there and you'd think, they're in there right now planning to ruin my life tomorrow. You thought your parents only dreamed of ways to make your life miserable. And we transferred that into how we think of God. We think, God, what are you doing this to me for? He says, I don't think things evil towards you, but I think and I plan and I prepare to give you a what kind of end? An expected end. Do you know, he changed our end, amen, by taking the place of each and every one of us under the righteous wrath of Almighty God for our sins. When he took our place on that cross, how did he see me? He saw me as deserving that. And yet he let his son go there. And what did he see in me? A new life. He saw a Barabbas who was now given a second chance. He saw a new end. He saw a better end. Hallelujah. Honestly, what does God see? He changed our end by offering every sinner who would ever be born a second chance. He offered whosoever to just fully trust what he did, that it would be eternally enough to forgive you and save your soul forever. 37 years ago, believing on Jesus as a 17-year-old teenager, Christ changed my life and my future. He gave me an expected end. How does he see your life now, though? Does he still see you as an unsaved man or an unsaved woman, living, talking, thinking like you always have? Is that how he sees you? Then you're not born again for sure. If you have not changed, I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but if you're still the same old rat, 
You're still the same old grouch. You're still the same old giving in to sin. You're still the same old. It's like pulling teeth trying to get you to come to church, trying to get you to read the Bible, trying to get you to care about the world. I have to ask, are you really saved? How does God see you? He knows your heart, and you know what? I bet you do too. How does God see your life right now? Maybe it's rebellious against the will of God. There's a song uh, years ago. It's a sad song, but it's a missionary song. It says, Lord, please don't send me to Africa. <laughs> I'll do anything except that. Can you imagine? Wherever God would call you, that's the best place in the world. But people have a pick and choose, a, a cherry picking type of thing. Lord, if you ask me to work in the crash, I'm leaving. <laughs> if you call me to help out with addicts, I would quit. No, no, no. Is that how God sees you as somebody who constantly argues with the will of God? Fighting his work in your heart? Then surely, I'll tell you this, you'll never be happy another day of your life. You can't be happy fighting against the Holy Spirit. Maybe he sees you with a tender heart yearning to be more like Jesus. That's what I hope today. Don't you think that you ought to find out where God wants you? And start to want what he wants you and I doing? Go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37 in your Bible. Verse 23 and 24. Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. It means to order it is to lay it out in order, lay it out in a pattern. It says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Do you delight in God's way that he lays out for you? Though he fall, believe me, we will, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Wouldn't it be nice to know what the steps are that God has laid out for you? It would help to have a God-given view of the future. It would help to know what God sees. Now, I'm not talking about a career plan. We're not here to talk to you about how to be a successful businessman, how to make your first million by the time you're 35 years old. I'm not talking about a dream you might have or a hope, but a vision. I'm not talking about a self-made vision. That's the big thing these days. Self-inspiration, not good but a God-given, Holy Spirit-inspired, Bible-based vision for yourself, your family, for this church, and for our nation. Today is Vision Sunday. And I'd like you to catch a vision of what our lives and our church should be like both tomorrow and next year and for the rest of the days until the rapture. Let's pray. Father, please, in these few minutes, help us, stir us. Lord, get us off of our... Our, yes. <laughs> Get us to where we start to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, just use me. I, I want to get up to the front. I don't want to sit in the back. I don't want to miss out on the blessings of God. I don't want to end up walking into heaven ashamed and regretting a life that did nothing of value. Give us a vision, Lord. Sometimes we've been convinced of the devil we can't do anything, but that's a lie, and that's our own lie. We don't want to risk anything. We don't want 
to care because we've been hurt so many times. And God delivers from that so that we just care and let people walk all over us and use us and abuse us because you're worthy and because they're worthy too. So bless and help, Lord, the preaching of your word and the hearing of it in Jesus' name. Amen. We need to go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, just show you a vision this morning from the Bible. Show you, give you an understanding of the vision. Hebrews chapter 11. What exactly could this thing, a vision, be? Hebrews chapter 11. Let me tell you, start down there in verse 4. Watch these people show up. Verse 4, by faith, the first guy's name is Abel, offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh in 2018. Look down at verse 5. The second guy's name is Enoch. He says, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. He was not found because God had translated him. For before this translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Go down to verse 7. you got a man named Noah. By faith Noah being warned of gods of things Notice the time he keeps saying, seen, seen, see. Warned of God of things not seen as yet, he was moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Verse 8 goes on with the next guy, verse 8. Abraham, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. and went out not knowing whither he went. And then verse 11 says, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was way past age, 90 years old, because she judged him faithful who was promised. One more. These people, go down to verse 27, all had a vision. They all could see something that no one else saw. Look at verse 27. By faith, speaking of Moses, he forsook, he abandoned Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Isn't that awesome? See, they could see what, what they were supposed to be instead of just who they were. Abel, he saw what worshiping God really was. He saw it through the substitution of a lamb. He saw the innocent dying for the guilty. And he says, God, I'm unholy. I'm unrighteous. But if this is how I worship, I want to worship you. And this is how I'll do it. And God honored that. He saw what worship was. And to this day, he still speaks. Enoch, he saw no death in his future. How many of you have death in your future? You know, if you're saved, I know we, 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 we sort of understand that, but Jesus says that if, though, he, uh, though he die, yet, well, I'm going to, uh, have to pass on quoting it exactly at all at all, but John chapter 5 says um, that uh, uh, we've passed from death into life. There really is no death in our future. This shell of a body will die. But I don't have death in my future. Sorry, I caught you. Sorry. <laughs> and Enoch, he saw no death in his future. And so he walked with God every day. It changed the way he lived. Noah, he saw a coming flood even before they could even conceive of what a flood was. They had never seen it rain. And here he was saying, well, whatever it is, I don't want to be that in it. I want to build a boat. I want to save my family, whatever it takes. What he saw, nobody else could see, but what he saw motivated him to do something greater. Amen? 
Then you got Abraham. He saw children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-grandchildren numbering the stars of the sky. And it changed him, didn't it? It changed him. He could see. A vision is seeing maybe what nobody else can see, but you got it from God. Sarah, she saw her old frail frame of a body getting pregnant and carrying a child and giving birth at 90 long years of life. That was Sarah. She saw it. She judged, well, God, I got no strength. I'm physically, basically dead. But I judge you faithful. Amen? She could see something nobody else could see. And then old Moses, he endured because he could see the promised land. He could see it way out there. He says, never been there. I know I've heard about it. I studied the maps of it, but we're going there. And he endured because he could see him who was invisible. That's the kind of vision I want. We need their vision. We desperately need their way of seeing things because only a God-given view of the future enables us to put up with the suffering, put up with the troubles, to endure the failures, the disappointments, especially the delays in life. So that's why God wrote this book, to give us a vision. So what exactly is a vision? Well, look at verse 13. He goes on. He says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Wow! There goes prosperity gospel out the window. God doesn't have to give you everything He's promised you for you to actually worship Him and live for Him. He says, All of those people, which we already just looked at, none of them got all the promises that God had for them. But they could see them. Look what He goes on. He says, These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, another country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, Egypt, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly country, where God is not ashamed. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. The name of that city, by the way, is the New Jerusalem. So what exactly is a vision? By definition, vision is foresight. It's seeing ahead. It's a sense of purpose. It's a God-inspired plan for your life. And the Bible describes a vision simply as something we can only see by faith. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I show you pictures up here. I give you illustrations. But for you to see God's will for your life, for you to get a vision of God, I can't put on the PowerPoint. I can't draw it. I can't paint it. Nobody can describe it. God has to give it to you. It has to be seen by faith. Every one of those, Abel, uh, Noah, Enoch, um, uh, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, they had to do it by two words, by faith. That's how the Bible describes a vision. The um, Bible also describes it something that's far off. Uh, it's it's uh, like way out on the horizon. Something you say, uh, you say to the kids, you get into the car, and the, the famous words from my mouth and my brothers and sisters when we got in the car after just 20 minutes was, Three words. Are you ready? Four words. Are we there yet? <laughs> and my dad would say, no, we got another two hours. I couldn't conceive of two hours. But my dad knew there was some place that we were going. We'd get there. He could see it. He says, it's out on the horizon. And we need that because too many of us have popcorn faith. If it doesn't pop in three minutes, I'm not eating it. 
We can't have that kind of faith, folks. You've got to have a faith that when you settle down and you start to say, oh, I want to get married. You need to have a faith that says, I can see the end of that marriage, not the ending. You didn't get that, did you? You need to be able to look down where you've been together for 50 years and you've got children and grandchildren and praise God, even some great-grandchildren run around your ankles. Amen. That's the kind of faith we need. We don't need popcorn faith. Something... The vision that God gives his people is way out there. It's not just, well, it's just oh, it's for tomorrow. I'll just take it one day at a time. Yeah, you need, but I bet you, I bet you work planning on going on holiday. Amen? Next year. I bet you prepare to buy a house. I bet you do some planning. You need to have a purpose in your life that goes on for years. And that's a vision. It's a God-given vision, something that's far off. It is something that hasn't happened yet. It is something that hasn't happened yet. I love this. <clears throat> a vision is something that is not the fulfillment at all that God has for you right now. You may go through a time where you lose your health, where you lose your bank. Well, that'd be a nice thing to just lose the bank, amen. But if you lose your, 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 your finances, you lose your job, you lose your, your house, and you lose everything, you say, God, what happened? Nothing. God didn't leave his job. God didn't step down off the throne. You're going to have to have a vision that says, I don't care what happens. I'm staying all the way to the end because I know the end is going to be good. It is something that God's promises and his vision that he gives you is not something that you have right now. It's a confidence you have. I read a, of a, uh, the testimony of a Canadian pastor. His name was Mark Buchanan. He pastors the New Life Community Church, New Life Community Baptist Church. And he talked about when he went camping, and this is cute, and maybe you can relate to this. Uh, he went camping with a friend and, and their children. It, it illustrates exactly what our vision and confidence ought to be like. He says this, one spring weekend, a friend and I took our sons and two of their friends camping on the west coast of Vancouver Island in Canada. It turned out to be one of the wettest, coldest weekends of the wet and the cold season. We hiked down the muddy trail in slanting gray rain, arriving at our site sodden and chilled. We set up our tents on the beach between the edge of the forest and the tide line, tucked in behind a rough windscreen of driftwood. But the wind and the rain swooped in on us anyway, mercilessly. We huddled around the meager warmth of fire that sputtered in the heavy downpour. The wetness of the sand found its way into our tents, into our food, into our clothes, our sleeping bags, crusting and drenching everything. We spent most of our time scratching and shivering and trying to stay warm and dreaming. We were dreaming of our homes, <laughs> the clean hotness of a bath water, the comfort and warmth of dry clothes and beds, the tastiness of food that wasn't damp or gritty or burnt. We were, sure enough, miserable. But how much more deplorable our lot would have been without a clear vision of the homes to which we would soon return. There, were, there we would peel off our damp, clinging, scratchy clothes, dance in a hot shower, dress in fleece pajamas, and rest beneath a down quilt, our heads on a soft pillow. What made the camping experience bearable was knowing what awaited us at home. You know, a lot of Christians only enjoy God in the here and now. And when things get rough, they quit. They have no vision. 
No confidence in the home they're going to. A God-given vision may not happen for years, but you know it will. It is something that you're fully persuaded by because God promised it, not your husband. <laughs> yeah, we'll go on holiday next year. Yeah, you better write that down and put it in stone because something may happen and may not be able to do it. You're going to have to take it as well. God said it. I can trust it. A vision, you've got to be convinced of it. God, and I'll say this, and I give up. Can I say it? I'm not going to try to convince another one of you because I'm tired of trying to convince you. If God can't convince you to, to live for God and to do right, I, I, I certainly can't do it. A vision that God gives you is something that motivates you and, 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 and pushes you and pulls you that only God can do. Let him do it. Ask him, God, please get me off my butt. Please get me to care. Please make me into a servant like you. I preach my heart out and I pray and I labor in this book only to watch countless families fall apart. Countless numbers of individuals live day after day the same, still smoking, still drinking, still addicted to their TV and Netflix, never handing out a soul-saving gospel tract and never reading through their Bible. And I wonder, what am I doing wrong? You know what the Lord told me? Nothing. I can't motivate them. Don't think you can. Amen. You're going to have to get to where you say, Lord, I want a vision that persuades me, even me. And the, I love how it says there in Hebrews, he says, embracing them, embracing the promises of God. It means holding on to what you see way out on the horizon, way out on the horizon, and letting go of the few trinkets you're holding on to in your pockets and into your bank. A vision is something where you confess that this is not our life. This is not my world. This is not our home. I love the, the, the song. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't be at home in this world anymore. Folks, when you start to confess, this is not my home. Somebody drives by and says, is that where you live? Well, that's, that's where I'm staying right now. Wait till you see my mansion. Amen? Is that the car you drive? You ought to see my other car. <laughs> my chariot, amen, with a horse that flies. I I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Lastly, two more yearning for another world. Yearning for it. I wish I, I, wish I could just get you to, to taste what pecan pie tastes like. I just got some this morning. You say, what's pecan pie? Oh, <laughs> you'll never know till you taste it. And some of you have never tasted of the heavenly gift. You say, why are you so excited? Why do people enjoy singing the hymns? Why do people make so much effort to be at church? Because we've tasted something. Because to us, this is, we yearn for more. We yearn for a, for a, a fullness of heaven that one day we're going to enjoy. And so I live for that. I may, not, I may not have anything to live for right now, and I do, but I have everything to live for that's out there on the horizon. Amen? That's a vision. And only that kind of thing. The Bible says there in the end of verse, verse uh, 16, 
It says, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. I meet too many people who are acting like they're ashamed of God, and that's a shame. You know what? You ought to be worried about whether God's ashamed of you. The Bible says, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. And that kind of vision pleases God. And let me go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. You see, vision is more than what we see. It's how we see. Paul here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, says these words. He says, and he's praying for the Christians at Ephesus, and therefore to us, because it's in the Bible, it says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, cleared up, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. So, what you can't see, now you take, some of you have glasses, you take your glasses off and that's how you see the world. But you put your glasses on and, boy, I can see, I can, I, I, I can drive, I can cook, amen. How do you see your life? Do you see it like that? Oh, just a mess? Or is God answering prayer made 2,000 years ago that God would open our eyes and clear up our sight and enable us see something way out there clearly and go, I want that. I'm going to talk about that more tonight. Just, just suffice to say, vision is not just something you see, but how well you see it. Let me say this. Pain, obstacles, enemies, disappointments usually cloud our view of God. Amen? But a right vision of Christ, a solid vision of heaven, and of the... And, and just of Jesus. And uh, I mean, I've got confusing words here. Let me just read it again. The, a right vision of Christ, of heaven, and of Christian suffering will clear up our view of pain, obstacles, enemies, and disappointments. Either, either you will see God through your suffering, and how will he look? Mean, uncaring. Or you will learn to see your sufferings through Christ, which is far better. Vision is not enough. Now, I, I, can go on to a, I can go on to a rugby fit pitch and I can go, that's the goal. I can point where I should be, amen. But seeing the goal, the plan, the direction that we should be going is nothing unless we all strive for the same future. Most everyone I know can, can point to the goal line and the finish line, but few actually grab the ball and head for the goal. So, Love what's on the horizon. Go to Romans chapter 8. Stay with me. Are we okay? Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Romans 8, 18. For I reckon, you know Paul was a Texan. Romans 8, 18. For I reckon, look at how he looks at his suffering. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What's he more focused on? The sufferings of the present time or the glory of what's out on the horizon? He's focused on that, isn't he? Love what's on the horizon. Secondly, stay the course. I love that picture. Philippians chapter 3. Quickly go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Stay the course. No matter how hard no matter what it costs. You know, some of the ministries that we have, like the welcome ministry, they, they really don't take a lot of effort. 
come along to 12 Weeks to Freedom, it will wear you out. One of the hardest ministries you ever get into. I read again Shackleton's request uh, for people to go with him on his uh, expedition to the Antarctic there. You know what he put on there? Wanted. Men willing to die. <laughs> wow! Sign me up, amen. <laughs> he had 20, how many, 26 men who all signed up who said, I want the glory of going to the furthest reach. Isn't that awesome? He didn't say, wanted men who would sleep on down pillows and, and men who would sleep in hammocks or, and, and be catered to everywhere. No, he asked for people who are willing to risk it all for something that was hard. In Philippians chapter 3, verse, thir verse 13 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before, I press. To press is, you ever seen these guys who are in gymnasiums and they do what's called a bench press? And they press. They lift that weight. Or they use their feet and they press against incredible weight. Paul says, I press toward the mark. It's not easy for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Believe me, if you're going to ever serve people, it's going to cost you more than you imagine. By the way, in this day and age, it'll cost us more just being saved, just being a Christian. To believe your Bible, to try to live right, I mean, it's going to cost us in the next few years, it'll cost us. That's why I believe it is a godsend for us to have our own building because I think Christians are going to be turned out on the street left, right, and center from jobs and from places of, of, of meetings. It's going to get harder. We'll press on, amen? Stay the course. And then lastly, finish the course. I, I tell you, I, I got to encourage you. Don't get into this thing. Don't get motivated by Brother Ledbetter and his passion. Don't say, yeah, I want to get into a, a, a ministry. Yeah, I want to really get into church. I really... And then three weeks down the line go, well, you know, uh, it's Sunday. I got something else to do. Let's stay the course and finish the course. Let's stay to the end. Let's stay all the way till the trumpet blows. Let's stay and finish the course. Every Christian needs a God-given vision. I got too much to say. I'm just going to have to say this. A God-given vision is the ability to see beyond our bills, our troubles, our storms, and see the calm, see our destination, and see the purpose of everything that's happening. Without a look, without the ability to, uh, without a look beyond the bills, the struggles, the stress, the schedules, the job, the lack of a job, without the ability to see all that, you know what you'll do? You'll lose hope. but with a vision of what we're all supposed to be doing. Well, pastor, that's what you're supposed to do. Well, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? Well, I can't preach. I didn't ask you to preach. Well, I can't say, I didn't ask you to sing. I asked you to find out what God called you to do. What is God putting on your heart? Well, I'm afraid. We all were afraid. First time I ever preached, I had five pages, handwritten, single-space notes. I stood up there, I was done in six minutes. <laughs> Don't you think this comes easy? I've been doing it for 30 some odd years, man. But if you have a vision of what God called you to do, we'll just keep going and going. Acts chapter 14, don't go there. We have no time. Acts chapter 14, Paul is preaching outside, outside of Lystra and Iconium and they stoned him. 
and they pelted him and they thought he was dead and they dragged his lifeless body out onto the, the outside road, dumped it out there and they walked away and all of the other, I mean the brethren, <laughs> standing around Paul saying, is he dead? I don't know, he looks dead. I, I, said, I think I saw a twitch. And Paul got up, you know where Paul went? Back into the same city. What would make somebody be that nutty? He didn't worry about the city, he worried about souls. He said, I know what God called me to do. God called me to preach, and I'll keep preaching until I go home. And that is, that is, listen, if you see the goal, you'll put up with whatever the enemy lines up against you like a football team. Whatever the rugby team that you're playing against lines up against you, you say, I don't care about them, I care about the goal. And I'll keep going, and I'll keep going until I get there. We need a God-given vision. What's our vision? I love vision. I love vision Sunday. Previous year, every year I get to sit back and I go, where should we be in a year? And really big themes came back in 2009 where I started and I said, let's, let's just bow the knee. Let's just learn how to just have a secret walk, that, that secret time with the Lord of a yielded life to Him. Then in 2010, we learned about stand fast. We were on our knees, now we're standing. Therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Then in 2010, we looked at the open doors that God has for us. 2011, we learned living by the book. It was the 400th anniversary of the King James, printing of the King James Bible. So we learned to be doers of the word and not hearers only. 2012, we learned that the Christian life is just simply worth it. Paul says your labor is never in vain when it's in the Lord. Then in 2013, we talked about the marriage of the Lamb. We wanted to be a ready church, ready for the rapture, ready to serve, ready to give, ready to suffer, whatever it was. We were ready. Then we moved to living by faith. 2013, 2014, I think it is, living by faith. We walked by faith. Just learn, What is it to live by faith? What, what is faith? How can it be so comforting? Then we took a whole year of portraits of grace. We looked at Ruth and, and we looked at Esther and we looked at Moses and God's grace on his life. And then last year we looked about whatever happened to love. This year we've talked about mighty to save and drum roll please. This year we're going to look at Ezra and Nehemiah and I've had it on my heart. We're going to learn to build. Building and battling by the book. We're going to build by that little book right there in that little girl's hand. Amen? Building and battling by the book. What's our vision? It's time to build. The God of heaven, He will prosper us. We don't need the government's money. We don't need funding. What we need is God. Therefore, we, His servants, will arise and build. We need to build the next generation of Christians, folks. They just don't happen. Other churches aren't... I was talking to somebody the other day, and they're so wrapped up in all the music, and they're so wrapped up in all the things that Christians think that they can live like and do like, and it'd be fine with God. And I'm looking at them saying, there's no godliness, there's no holiness, there's no yearning for holy things in that Christian's life. We need to build some Christians who love holiness, who love God. We need to build the next generation of Christians. We need to build godly men and women. I don't want to ever, I don't want to ever have a church full of deadbeat dads, people who don't take responsibility. I want to build some godly men, some godly women. How about godly families? Wasn't it awesome having a dedication this morning? Wouldn't it be nice to have one every week? Amen. Now we need each different women. Not one woman can have the same <laughs> things going on. Man, so, 
godly families, churches all across Ireland and all across the world. We support, I think, only, only nine missionaries. We need to help start churches. We need to build, not the brick and mortar, but the people, places that need the gospel. We need to build our own church building. How many of you like church today? I'm enjoying being in here. But you know, it's, it's, it's just the beginning. I think we got kicked out of, and I really looked at it, and I said, we got moved over here for us to go, you know what, we really got to take this thing by the horns and say, Lord, are we going to build, or are we just going to sit and just wait for something to happen? It's not going to happen unless we do it. By the way, can I say this? Our offerings stink. Wherever your tithe money is, is not going into that box over there. And we are at zero. We can't build anything unless we're all building. Amen? I need, I need, I, I, I hate talking about money, but I'll tell you this. If we're ever going to buy our own building, if we ever were going to convert this thing and knock down this wall and make this into a church building, it takes cash. And it only comes from God. I'm not going to write to Leo Varadkar. I'm not going to write to, to uh, uh, Welfare and Dole. I'm going to talk to God and I'm going to talk to you. Amen? Could we knock down this wall? Could we square this place off? Could we build two floors over there? We got to see it. We got to say, is that what God wants? Then let's do it. Amen? Amen. Tonight I'm going to talk about the responsibilities of having a church vision. When God gives you that building, that, that, that vision, I wish you'd give us a building, but when he gives you that vision, you have a responsibility to fulfill it. But right now, will you catch my vision? Would you look out over Cork? Would you look out over Ballincollig? Would you look out over Ireland? Would you catch the vision to build with me? Stand with me, please. Bow your heads. If you have bowed your eye closed, let me just ask you for a second, brief second. Somebody in this room may need a vision of hell. Week after week, I was in church and my pastor, Pastor Jack, preached and at the end of the service, you know what he'd do? He'd dangle us all over hell for a few minutes. And he'd say, I, need, I wish you could smell the sulfur. I wish you could feel the pain just for a few seconds and you realize you don't want to go there. You know, when I was 17 years old, I didn't argue and say, well, that would be unfair. God's not a fair God. God's not fair. If he was fair, we'd all be there. Instead, God took the initiative, took our place so we didn't have to go there. And I have to take him seriously. I have to take hell seriously. I have to take his righteous judgment and wrath seriously. I need to have a good view of hell. So I flee from it. I run from it. After about eight weeks, it finally got to me and I says, I want to be saved. Do you want to be saved? Coming to this church doesn't save you. Putting in money in the offering box doesn't save you. Nothing you do can save you. Jesus saves. Why don't you ask him to save you? He can give you eternal life in the blink of an eye right now. He can give you a whole new life. Would you let him? Maybe you need to see hell. Flee from it. Maybe some of you need to see heaven. See, it's all going to be worth it. Take a good look and say, Lord, that's for me. I don't deserve it. I haven't done anything that would be worthy of it. But now that I've got a good view of heaven, maybe 
maybe I'm a little motivated to try to please you and try to lay up some heavenly rewards instead of just some stuff, some trinkets here on this earth. Maybe you need a good view of souls, people, struggling, taught all their life that God is dead, taught all their life that we've all been evolved, we're all on our way to a hole in the ground and that's it. Why don't you make a difference and say, Lord, I see him, I see him. Thank you for giving me a vision of people. I don't have a lot of answers, but I got at least two. Would you make a difference? What kind of vision could God give you? Would you have a vision with me of this year being something? As we look at two men's letters, Ezra and Nehemiah, we listen to their heart about building and battling. And there's a lot of battles that's got to be fought, the right battles. Let's do it by the book, and let's, let's see if we can't build our families, rebuild some things that have been torn down. Father, I beg you, and I pray, Lord, right now in this moment, it's been a good day. It's been a long day already. But I think you've spoken to our hearts. And I ask that you wouldn't just speak, that we would, but that we would respond. That now that we're on our feet, we'd stay on our feet. We'd say, Lord, I'm ready to go. Give me my marching orders, and I'll go. I'll do. I just know I need to be different. I know I need something more than I am. Because as I am, I quit. As I am, I fail. As I am, I, I gripe and complain. God, change me for somebody else. Make me a servant like you. Lord, please just reach into our hearts. And this next year, may 2018 be the best, most amazing year ever. Not because we do anything great, but because we're just serving he who is great. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.